Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we have a conversation about moving past the gospel, how the gospel really is the beginning point for many, but it's not the point of the Christian life. The Christian life really is involved with more. We enter into the Christian life as a, through the gospel, but we don't necessarily see it as the point or that which drives our everyday life. And then in the members podcast, Justin and I try and explain that experience that you have when you're in a church and the gospel becomes the center point of every aspect of the church service and even the church life compared to a church that assumes the gospel. They tack it on at the end as maybe an invitation. We hope you enjoy. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast Inc. and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging worried pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Justin, it's good to be with you. My friend, you have the most anticipated moment of the week for all. Wednesday morning, they want to know, what is it that Justin is against? What's his pro con? What's yeah, he it's for? It's what's made what's our uh, it's what's made our our podcast wildly popular. Is the I mean we're segment. we're at least in the top ten thousand of podcasts. <laughs> Seriously, so <laughs> so we sit here today, and uh, this is the first day of October in the year of our mm. Lord twenty twenty, and it is getting nice and brisk outside in Asheville, North Carolina. I mean, we've had some of that really nice, crisp early fall weather in recent days, which I absolutely love. So I am pro, I'm just going to begin with the positives because why not? I am pro yeah. fall. I am pro fall. It is my favorite season of the year. There are so many things that I love about it. I could probably talk about it for a half an hour, but nobody's, nobody's interested in that. They, they want this to be nope. briefer than 30 minutes. So yep. I, I love, I love the weather, uh, especially in the area of the country where I live. The weather in the fall here is great. Um, I love the the crispness and the air, the the smells that you even associate with fall. Uh, I love bourbon and like a, a fire, a football. There's just a lot of things that happen in the fall that uh, that are great that I think are kindnesses from the Lord. My con is related to fall, so I've already expressed my my undying affection for this season of the year, and yet I grow quite weary of quite literally everything having to be like pumpkin spiced something. So I'm just sort of like, I'm over, I'm over the pumpkin spice thing. Like everywhere I look, it's pumpkin spice this and it's pumpkin spice that. And it's like, there are other flavors guys, you know, that are associated with fall in this time of the year. So I'm just asking what for those a little flavors bit more. Be? I'm just asking for a little bit more diversity. I mean, spice is a, is sort of part and parcel of fall, but can we do something other than pumpkin? You know? And you I'm, want not, like a, I'm not like against a turkey flavored, like a stuffing flavored oh, coffee. Now you're just getting silly, man. So I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not against pumpkin flavor. I just feel like it dominates uh, in yeah. a way that Dan is just could be better. Well, I think we can do better guys, you know? And so, yeah, let the listener do that. What, uh, what he or she will. 
And uh, I've been obviously thinking about these things quite deeply for some time. I hope that was evident in that Apparently. meditation. So, yeah. Well, I'm never going to um, offer you pumpkin pie. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I'm okay. I, I'm okay with pumpkin pie. That's the point. It's just, you know, all things in moderation, John. So we are going to talk about <laughs> something more substantial than fall or certainly than pumpkin spice today on Theocast. So why don't you give the listener an idea of where this conversation is headed and, and tee up this conversation for us. One of the things that Justin and I love to do is we, uh, we spend some time whenever we record just talking about life and what's going on in our ministries and our marriages and home and entertainment, whatever. And then we start talking about, all right, what are we going to talk about today? Sometimes we have a schedule. A lot of times we don't. Uh, but we often want to talk about what, what I think gets us going, what we find to be the passion behind our ministries, the passion behind Theocast. One of those is the the theme of Theocast is resting in Christ. And we're always trying to, to look at what are, what are ways in which the Christian life has this rest robbed from them, where they carry around a burden, where Christ has relieved them of that burden, and the burden is being placed back on them, and what causes that? Well, one of those, which is a ma- massive theme within our podcast, which is pietism, but specifically, we want to get into a, a more nuanced issue within the broader Christian world. And and this isn't just evangelicalism. This isn't just in the Baptist legalistic world. This this can come in even into some of the reformed world. It sneaks in very easily because our hearts desire this. And so what we're going to be talking about is how we can separate the gospel from the Christian life, where the gospel isn't that that driving force. It's not where it's seen in every area of our life. And even when there was a movement a while back, was it 10, 15 years ago, it was the gospel, everything, right? The gospel in marriage, the gospel in parenting, the gospel in your job, the gospel in food, the gospel in everything. Uh, But even in that movement, what I begin to realize in those podcasts is that, one, they, they would actually never explain the gospel. They would assume it in their book, and they only emphasized the implications of the gospel. They never actually got to the importance of the gospel. It just became the title to get people's attention. But the gospel wasn't the driving force of the book or the sermons. It was the implications of the gospel, which is the the how-tos and what-to-dos after you know the gospel. So the emphasis still was on what we should be doing, not on what Christ has done. So that's what we want to uh, I think you try and explain to you the difference between the implications of the gospel, the gospel, and then what is the gospel and the Christian life and how do the two come together? Yeah. So for many people listening to this, perhaps you have uh, been in what we might call broad evangelicalism, or maybe you're still there. Uh, you're just in a, a broad, broadly evangelical context. You've not um, really heard a lot of confessional reform theology, or you're certainly not in a confessional reform church. And so we want to try to put some handles on this uh, for, for that listener you know, as we go through this conversation. And something that, that John and I were talking about before we hit record is, is clear to us that as we look at the evangelical church in recent decades, um, a, a large project of the evangelical church, this is a good thing, you know, has been focused on evangelism, which 
again, we want to commend that. We want people, we want sinners to trust in Christ. But what that has meant in many contexts is that the church has become so focused with getting people in that that has all kinds of bad implications for for those who have come in and are now part of the church. And so what I mean here is that the gospel is often viewed as the entry point to the Christian life. Like it is the, it's the starting point. It's the doorway in. And then once you're in, we're going to move on to other stuff. We're going to move on to, in particular, the Christian life and what that should look like and the things that you should be doing, the things that you should abstain from doing, the things that you should be feeling, the things that you should be thinking. And John and I are not saying that there isn't room for that kind of talk. Absolutely. I mean, the scripture contains things about that. But whenever you view the gospel as the entry point of the Christian life, there are problems that flow out of that. There are implications of that kind of an understanding. So in many evangelical churches, even to this day, the Sunday morning gathering is essentially seen as a stationary Billy Graham crusade, where <laughs> the, goal of, the goal of Sunday morning is to, is to reach the seekers and reach the lost and to bring them in. And, you know, the gospel in that sense, even from a, a preaching perspective, is really seen as primarily needing to be preached to the person who is not a Christian. Like, I need to, I need to preach the gospel and make the gospel clear to the person who has shown up today who does not know Christ. And we would just w- want to kindly push back against that and say, of course, we should preach the gospel to those people. But the Sunday morning gathering is actually for the saints. It's for the edification of the body of Christ. And the primary way that the saints are built up, sustained, confirmed, and strengthened in the faith is through the proclamation of the gospel to them. And so, of course, the the person who isn't a believer who shows up to church is going to hear the gospel. But we, like Martin Luther would say, we're going to preach the gospel every week to our people because we all tend to forget it every week, right? We, we tend to move on in our own minds and hearts from the gospel. And so if there is not a very self-conscious emphasis in the church on the centrality of the gospel in all things and of the redeems, the, the redeemed, the saints need of the gospel all the time, then inevitably other things are going to become the focus. And that's sort of what we're trying to highlight here is that the implications of the gospel become the focus rather than the gospel itself. So I just wanted to start there because I think that's that's the experience of many people is that the gospel is for the non-believer and then the Christian life and an emphasis and a focus on that, whether it's discipleship or marriage or family or parenting or finances or leadership or whatever it is, those things become what we really need to consider our consider and concern ourselves with in the church. Yeah, self-improvement. It's, it's all about how do I become a better me or how do I... You know, we'll, and we can we can make it sound more biblical, right? So, how do I become more like Christ? Um, Absolutely. And so, right. And so, that sounds good. I mean, it's like saying, it's like disagreeing that Jesus is the point of the Bible. No one, no one would disagree with that. But at the same time, if they agree with it, they don't they don't read and preach the Bible that way. <laughs> they don't read it as if Jesus is the point. They read it as if there's the they're they're the point. And and every time we interact with the Bible, we're interacting with it is. This is instructions for how I can become a better me. Uh, I, I would say, Justin, what as you as you were talking, I, I, one of one of the things that we're trying to do at Theocast is not say the same thing over and over again, but and really try and pull apart um, our thoughts 
in, in history so that you can mm-hmm. see it from maybe different angles every time that we look at it from what we write and what we say. One of the things I know is true of my own life is that the gospel that was handed to me was a true gospel. Okay. When I mean by a true gospel, sure. it was true good news. It was your sinner. God's going to judge you for your sin. The only thing that can redeem you is Jesus. And that redeem that that payment has to be a perfect Jesus. So I believed in the virgin birth. I believe that he lived a perfect life and I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Um, and all of that took place within the gospels. Nothing, none of that took place outside of the gospels. All of that took place in the gospels. And it was, that's, that's how I became a family member. Now let's talk about what family, what it looks like to be a family member. And so I would say, and this may sound like it's a false gospel. It's not. I had a watered down gospel. I had a very yeah. elementary level gospel. And I would, I think the Bible is designed to be adding to your understanding of the gospel for the rest of your Christian life. I think Paul, when he says, I should be giving you the meat of the word, but I'm giving you the milk. Paul was talking about a watered down versus a robust gospel. He's saying you should have a robust gospel and you don't. You have a very, very watered down surface level gospel. Yeah. And he he was disappointed in them for it, which is interesting to me because he he wasn't upset with their actions. He was up, it was he was upset with, in other words, their actions were the result of their theology. And he wasn't upset with their actions. He was upset with their theology, saying, You should know better and you don't because you haven't been trained well. You haven't been growing in your faith. So all of this to say. One of the one of the one of the reasons Justin and Jimmy and I try and help everyone have a covenantal slash redemptive historic understanding of Scripture is that it, it broadens the gospel for you. The gospel doesn't is not just in, contained in the four gospels. The gospel is seen and developed and and creates this uh, wide perspective all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And I would even say in Genesis 1-1, because uh, Jesus is described as the, the, the creator and sustainer of the world, who is the savior of the world. So I, the, your understanding of covenant theology, and I think even your understanding of redemptive historic understanding of Scripture, is going to allow you to have that robust understanding of the gospel. Now, I need to be very clear here before I hand this off to Justin. I am not saying you don't have the gospel or you've misunderstood the gospel or your gospel is wrong or you can't have a full gospel unless you have a covenantal redemptive historic understanding of the guy of the Bible. I am not saying that. So please don't hear me say that your gospel is wrong. I, all I'm saying is that often what happens in evangelicalism and the reason that we emphasize what we should be doing, pietism, to earn God's favor, Mm -hmm. the implications of the gospel, is because we haven't been trained in how the Bible is pushing us towards a robust understanding of the gospel as our motivation for the Christian life. So we go to the actions and we miss out what's already been done, right? Done versus do. We, we, We should be looking at what's been done before we ever look at or emphasize what we need to be doing. Sure. And essentially what we're driving at here is how the gospel and the Christian life are somewhat separated from one another in the minds of many people. And that's very clear as you look at many churches and the kind of culture that exists within them. 
the gospel is there. Uh, the gospel is even preached. Um, it's not that Christ crucified is not heralded, but when it comes to the rubber meets the road issues of the Christian life, it turns into a focus on the believer and the believer's performance, the believer's effort, the believer's discipline, uh, and all those kinds of things. And we just need to educate people, you know, in terms of how to how to live and give them some tips and some wisdom and some tricks in terms of how to do this stuff better. And and that's really what the project of the church becomes. And so for us, I, I want to be really clear too. There are plenty of implications of the gospel that we could unpack for a long time on on a podcast like this. And by implications of the gospel, we mean that things that naturally flow out of it according to God's word, right? And and it has these are the things in particular that have everything to do with how we relate to each other, like how we should treat one another, you know, love for the brothers, being eager and and willing and ready to forgive, to seek reconciliation, to pursue unity, right? To flee from things that are evil, to hold fast to things that are good. I mean, we could talk hey, Justin, a long time. Real yeah. quick. Can I just give one example here to help people understand yeah. what an implication yeah. of the gospel is? So sure. Ephesians 4, first three chapters of Ephesians is gospel. It is glorious gospel. Absolutely. It is Paul giving some of the most robust theological explanations of the gospel you can find in all of scripture. It's it's dripping with uh, Old Testament um, imagery. And then he says this, uh, I therefore a prisoner, this is chapter four, verse one, I therefore a prisoner... For the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That he's talking about the calling of the gospel, right? He says this, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's an implication of the gospel. Word. If this is true of you, this is how you respond. Yeah. Or, you know, think of, of Jesus, you know, when your brother sins against you and he, he confesses that to you and says, forgive me, you forgive him. That's an implication right. of the gospel. We, we could talk about a bunch of those. Uh, and those are very good. And those are things that I know John and I, and, and also Jimmy, you know, we teach those things and preach those things and emphasize those things in our local churches. So we value those things very much. But what we are trying to drive at here today on this particular episode is the way in which implications of the gospel, as good as those things might be, are often functionally divorced from the gospel itself in terms of how we live in the church. And the apostolic pattern, you mentioned the letter to the Ephesians. It's a great example of this, maybe as clear of one as there is in Scripture. But I would argue that all of the epistles are written in this way, where the apostles always begin with not only the gospel, but they begin by reassuring their listeners, their, their readers, their audience, that they are in Christ and that they have been justified. You know, that they have been called, that they are loved, that they are being kept by God, all of those kinds of things. And then having made that crystal clear that your identity is now one of being in Christ and that your status is now one of being justified, the apostles go on to talk about implications of how the redeemed live. And that's what we are advocating for is don't do not ever assume the gospel. Do not ever assume that we all as the saints who gather together or who are trying to live our lives just are always thinking about our identity in Christ and are always aware of our justified status. We often aren't because this life is hard and we struggle. That's right. Right. And we sin and we doubt and we wrestle. And so, man, we, I had a conversation yesterday 
with a, with a brother who he and his family are visiting our church. And he looked at me and he just said, Justin, this has been so refreshing for us because every Sunday when we come, we are given Christ. And, that, and he looks at me and he's like, bro, that's what we need. It's what we need. And I mean, I, uh, we had a great conversation about that that I don't need to unpack right now, but he's exactly right. And this is what we're talking about. When we show up to church on Sunday, we've lived Monday to Saturday battling our sin, battling our flesh, doubting all kinds of things, doing things that we swore we would never do, feeling things we don't want to feel. The world bombards us. You know, finances are tight. Our job sucks. You know, politics are insane. And then you show up on Sunday and what, what do we need? What do we need? You know, we, we don't need, uh, here, here are things that, that you need to be doing and here are things that, that will improve your life. No, I need Jesus, brother. Can you give yeah. me Christ? You know, hey, and can so, I ask you a question? So let me yeah. ask you a question to what you're saying. Answer, answer this. When, when the pastor shows up and, and says, here are five ways to deal with this. Would you say what he's really saying is here are five ways to handle the sinful nature you still have? Is that what he's saying? I, I mean, he isn't understanding it to be that way. But what I guess no. what I'm saying is the way in which you deal with, I mean, this is the end of Colossians where he says, where Paul Correct. says, these have an appearance of wisdom, but are of no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So you just got done describing the battle against the flesh. Right. The people who assume the gospel or right. only preach about the implications yeah. of the gospel. Are you, are you getting are where not, I'm going? They are not coming at it from the perspective that, that you and I would come at it from. They're not, they're not articulating it the way that I just did. That you, right. here is your, here's your battle. Here's your experience. Now, look to Christ, consider Christ. And now, having considered him and having been reassured, hey, flee from stupidity. You know, and and love one another and practice these right. things. That's how we want to do it. But I fear right. that often, and I, I'm trying to kind of play the game here with you, John. And I fear that yeah. often what happens, you know, in many church contexts is when the gospel is assumed, meaning, okay, well, everybody here, everybody here, we got the gospel. You know, like we understand right. we Christ. Right. You wouldn't be here sinners. if you didn't believe. Right. Yeah. We got the gospel. Now let's talk about how we need to be living. There often, along with that, I would agree, is a misunderstanding of the internal war, you know, the saint-sinner reality, that we are at the same time justified and sinner, and that we are battling against our corrupted flesh, you know, and our inner man delights in God's law and wants to obey, but then our flesh does not want to obey, um, and our, our flesh wants things that are wicked. I think there is an ignorance of that often in this kind of teaching and preaching and in these kinds of church contexts. So yeah, it's often presented as here is, and, and this is the assumption, right? You have, you, we, we assume the gospel, we're trusting Christ, that we're, that's why we're here. You have the Holy Spirit. You know, this all sounds very, very good. We have the Holy Spirit, so now go about doing this thing or that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, so let's talk about what our marriages should look like. We have the Holy Spirit, so let's talk about, you know, what real good leadership is. You know, or whatever it may be. And it's not that talking about marriage or leadership is out of bounds in the church, not what we're saying at all. It has everything to do with what the emphasis is, and it has everything to do with what the tone is. If we are understanding marriage and we're understanding leadership or parenting or, or work and employment and all these kinds of things, if we are understanding that and viewing that through the lens of Christ and the gospel, 
where Christ is in the foreground and the Christian life is in the background, praise God. I mean, go for that's it. Right. You know, that's that's good. That's what we should do. But what we're trying to address today is how that whole thing has been reoriented. And in the foreground is all this stuff about us and how we need to live and what our marriages need to look like and what kind of employees we need to be. And then it's right. in the background is this kind of assumption of Christ in the gospel. Whereas what we're pleading for is, no, please, let's bring Christ back up into the foreground so that when we gather, it's very obvious, like redundantly clear that what we have gathered for is Christ and these other things that are contained in God's word, we will give appropriate consideration to in light of Christ. Right. And that, yeah, that emphasis think- makes all the difference, John. We're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Well, I, that's the word, emphasis. It's where where are you putting the emphasis? Uh, probably a passage that's helped me the most here is Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Peter makes no bones about it. He's, he, you know, if you begin in the very beginning of the, of the chapter, he says his divine power has granted, this is second yeah. Peter one, three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay. So, um, Peter immediately starts with the sovereignty of God and that it's through the knowledge of Christ and his glory and his excellence is, is the way in which we govern our lives. Uh, verse four, by which he has granted to us a precious and very great promise so that through them, these promises, you become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of this world because of its sinful desires. So where is Peter putting the emphasis? The divine power and God's nature and the knowledge of that, that's what governs us. And then he says, listen, now he does the same thing Paul does. If this is true, then you should govern yourself in such a way. And he gives things like godliness and brotherly affection and brother affection with love. For he says, if these yeah. qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, look, these are purposeful. These are good things. They're effect- they, they make the work of God effective. Now, listen where he points the emphasis back again, okay? He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Verse 9, for if Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And then he says, look, be diligent, be diligent to be examining this uh, cleansing. This is the next two verses where he talks about where our emphasis is on what is waiting for us. This is the good news of the gospel, that we have been cleansed, that we have been given union with Christ, that we have been given a final home and destiny, and that this is not our home. So he's saying, if you are not showing grace and kindness and brotherly love, and and you're not adding to these things into your life, 
it's not that you haven't been trained well. It's not that you need to be right. afraid. It's not that you need more how-tos. He's saying, you have forgotten the You've gospel. forgotten the good news. Yeah. Right. You've watered down that which should be robust. You have stopped emphasizing what needs to be emphasized. Emphasizing the gospel is what gives you motivation and explanation for the implications of the gospel. When you de-emphasize the gospel, you now don't understand why you are doing what you're doing or your reasons for obedience are wrong. That's pietism. Word. So let me pick up on that. And I've already got this written down on my whiteboard. So you and I are on the same (laughs) wavelength. We will trust the Holy Spirit of God that that is what's going on here. Um, So the question is not, like John and I do not want to be misunderstood. The question is not, should we be doing good works in the Christian life? Right. The answer to that question is an yes. obvious and resounding yes. Of course, we should be doing good works in the Christian life. We should pursue them. The question is, why? Why do we do good works? That's right. What's the motivation for good works? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that, the motivation is at the most fundamental level is Jesus and what he's done for me. So this is, this is very much the language of Paul in Philippians 3, right? That I, I press on to take hold of you know, the prize, right? And, and run the race and all these kinds of things. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus has taken hold of me. That's you know, right. this is, this is Ephesians two ten that we walk, you know, two, eight, nine, 10, like we've been saved by grace through faith. You know, it's a gift of God that no man may boast. And we walk, we are created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship and we are going to walk in the good works that have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So we're going to be motivated by Christ and his work for us in order to even go about pursuing good works. And we're not going to be so concerned. This is a big issue here. We're not concerned with our own personal improvement for our own sake. We are concerned for the good of our brothers and sisters and the good of our neighbor. We realize that these good works that have been prepared for us to walk in, we do them because of Christ, out of love and gratitude toward God, and out of love for our neighbor. And so it makes a world of difference in terms of the the emphasis and the understanding, because I, I know, John, you do too. I have this conversation constantly in my own church, because people are like, you know, and Justin, it does matter how we live, right? And I'll say, absolutely, it matters how we live, you know, and we should, they'll ask, but we should be doing these kinds of things, right? I say, of course we should be doing them. But the, the thing is, is that when you begin to understand the centrality of Christ and the gospel in all of the Christian life, you will find that you're going to be pursuing the same things, but for different reasons. And you will be pursuing the same things with a very different heart posture, not chasing after something that you have yet to obtain, but you are living in Christ, realizing that every spiritual blessing has already been given to you. Mm. Right. And now I am going to, because I'm safe, I can concern myself with doing these good things so that my neighbor will benefit and so that God will be honored. Well, I just wanted to add one thought that Justin is that when people say we should be doing things, I always say yes, but not the things that you've been told to do. Sure. (laughs) Because what you've been told to do, no, there, everything you've been handed, um, in the Christian life, I would say is a misinterpretation of the gospel. So if we are saved through the message of the gospel, this good news, and we become people of the gospel, right? We live underneath the banner of 
children of God, unified in him, justified, sanctified, glorified, cannot mm-hmm. wait for this reunion with God while I be in his presence. That is my mm-hmm. new identity. Uh, I live in two worlds. Uh, this home is, this world is not, I mean, that, those are all things that are true. And then what you are handed is nothing that is related to that. What you are handed then are, here's what you should be doing as a Christian, as if the salvation is not quite finished. It's almost finished. It's 99% done, but there's still 1% left for you. We would never word it that way, but that's exactly what it is. So when you're handed things, they are, these are the things you must do as a Christian. In other words, to prove that you're a Christian. And the emphasis becomes on proving your salvation. I, I, right. I am so fed up with this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my temper here for a little bit. I'm just so fed up with this whole idea that the Christian life is about you proving you're a Christian. The emphasis becomes on you demonstrating that somehow you have faith. And the gospel says, if you have faith, these things are true. It's not proved that they are true. If someone's not doing good works, it's not because they they miss it's not because they just i i don't know i i i this this whole thing about lazy christianity or lukewarm christianity the problem is not that they don't want to do it the problem is they don't understand why they should do it and even the things that uh, this is what i always think is funny someone says well i just think they're a lukewarm christian and then i ask them why well they don't have any desire to listen to like on sermons on youtube or they don't post any quotes about the bible on their instagram and they don't read their bibles faithfully and i was like none of those have anything to do with christianity none right. of them do so the things they should be doing which is showing kindness and mercy right. and i'll just get i'll i'm going to jump into this one section justin i'll let you i know you you probably have something to add Okay. But what's what's interesting to me is that the the means by which that we receive the gospel is through the Ephesians chapter four. God through the Spirit has gifted preachers and teachers, and it is through the yeah. administration of God's word with His people is where we receive the gospel. Because many people right. go home and they think, "Well, I just need to read my Bible more, and that way I will think on the gospel more. And the more I think on the gospel, the more I'll be like Jesus." It doesn't say that in Ephesians. It says when the body functions properly, it builds itself up in love. Right. It doesn't say when you go home and meditate on the gospel. I know I just yeah. opened up a can of worms, but that's okay. You know, I'm in my second cup of well, coffee right now. That's cool. You're good, brother. I mean, I, I may want to circle back and comment on um, the centrality of the word and sacrament in the service, the, the Sunday morning yeah. gathering, and 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 even what the ministry of the word and the administration, in particular, of the Lord's table is about. Um, right. So we may want to circle back to that. I, I want to maybe riff on something else for just a minute. You mentioned how you know there are there are things that that people would never say a certain way, but then functionally they kind of live live that way. So mm-hmm. one thing that nobody would ever say, at least in these terms, is okay. Um, now that we've got the gospel, let's move on to the real important stuff, which is the Christian life. Nobody would ever say it like that, but people almost do sometimes when they come up to you and they say, um, almost like, you know, we need more, we need more meat in the sermon. And by meat in the sermon, they mean you need to tell us a bunch of stuff to do. Uh, that's kind of a, a dead giveaway that people are thinking that, man, what, what I really need is instruction, you know, on what I need right. to be doing. I don't know. I don't so much. I need application. I don't so much need you know, the, the objective declarative realities of what God has done. 
I need imperative stuff. And that's what the the majority of the sermon needs to be. Um, So nobody would ever say that, you know, oh, okay, you know, let's move on to the real important stuff of the Christian life. But you kind of see it in the way that people are like, yeah, 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 we've got the gospel. You know, we got the gospel so. And whenever I perceive that, I, I think what that's indicative of, John, is a misunderstanding of several things. It is a misunderstanding of the gospel itself, you know, the the sufficiency of the work of Christ and and the nature of redemption and how God saves. That's true. But it's also a tremendous misunderstanding of our own need. And mm-hmm. when we think that the primary need we have is, well, I just need to be told how to live well now that I am now that I am a Christian. It's like, brother or sister, I think you've missed it. I think, I think you have overestimated you know, yourself. I am not trying to be a broker for Satan's doubt. I know that you have the Holy Spirit of God who has taken up residence in you. You know, praise be to the Lord that that's a new covenant reality. And at the same time, you are in the midst of a war against your sin and your flesh and your corruption. And you are in a world that is fallen, that is groaning like you are. And what you need primarily, first and foremost, Every time we gather on Sunday is you need Christ, and then we'll talk about this other stuff. Because this weekly gathering, there's a reason God tells us to do this regularly. Again, back to Luther's comment, you know, we, we tend to forget the gospel. We tend to forget what's true. And so we need to be reminded again and again of what Christ has done. It's like Paul says in Philippians 3.1, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. And then he goes on to talk about the righteousness that's been given to us through faith in Christ over and against any kind of righteousness that we would have on our own. And we need to be reminded of that all the time because it is what sustains us in the Christian life. It's what propels us. It's what motivates us. It's what strengthens us and confirms us in the faith is that we have Christ given to us every week as we gather in the word, in the table, and also through prayer and song and other means. And yeah, dude. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I know in our own respective churches, we're kind of unashamed, like this is what we're doing. And if if you want um, a lot of how-tos or if you want a lot of application heavy preaching, there are a thousand places you can go. But but here, the the primary thing that you will get unapologetically is Christ every week, because that's how we understand the Christian life is we need Jesus. And then everything else that we consider is only after we have considered Christ, frankly, and it is only because of Christ that we consider these things, and we can only consider them in and under Christ, being safe and secure in him. And then we can we can honestly kind of wrestle and struggle to live together in a way that we're called to live. That's right. But it's a it's that orientation that that does allow us to rest in the midst of pursuing hmm. obedience, pursuing good works, pursuing any of that stuff. Well, it's a shift. It's a total shift in thinking uh, to think that what I really need is to feast on Christ. This goes to John 6. Uh, he, he plays on the illustration. Exactly. He says, the bread that came down from heaven, the manna that came down from heaven, and the Israelites, God sustained them for years in, in the wilderness, and he gave them just enough bread every single day. And Jesus says, I'm that bread. Right. And, and it, it's not once. He says, I'm that for you every day. Because the illustration that Jesus is making is that you, you, 
it's not it's not that salvation happens once and you move on. You're being saved every yes. day. Well, and you the, have what been saved, saved you're you, being saved, you will be saved. That's right. All are true. And what is saving you right now is Christ. You holding on to him. It's your faith in Christ Word. is what saves you. Right. Well, so the way we think about it is it's it's like a transaction that happened in the past and yeah. it's over. It's like yeah. no, it's over. you are being saved. Well, you are safe, right? So like it's not right. that it's uncertain, but it is that your your hope and your righteousness and your security, your peace, fill in the blank, is always and only Jesus. And right. so like you've got you've got to be reminded of that reality. And you and I as preachers of the word sit under the word with the people. It's a we reality. It's not an us and them. You know, it's not me and you, it's us and we, right? Like we need this too. And so that's what we're doing. You know, when we yeah. when we gather and when we preach the word and that that reality I don't think can be emphasized enough, John, that mm. the Christian life if not to be reductionistic, but it is always and only Christ. Like we, That's we right. cannot in any kind of absolute way, you know, if, if we're talking in absolute terms, we cannot look anywhere other than Jesus. Can we be encouraged by our obedience? Can we be encouraged by good fruit? Can we be encouraged by the transformation of life? Sure. Right. Hmm. Can, can we look at our lives and be like, man, God, thank you for your grace because I've seen good things happen in my marriage or in my family or whatever. Yes, of course we can. And God is gracious and good to us in those ways. Right. And no matter how well it's going for us, no matter how well we're, we're doing, or if we're just absolutely crushing it in the spheres of marriage and family and work and leadership, no matter how good it's going, Jesus is our righteousness, him and him alone. That's right. You know, we never move on from that need. And, no. and we need to be reminded of that all the time. And let's just go back to not, the illustration. Yeah, go ahead. Good. Yeah. Well, sorry. Uh, sometimes the lag on Zoom. <laughs> I think you're done. Um, just I, going I back to the illust- illustration um, in uh, in John six. If you, if you don't if you don't unpack this illustration, which I think it takes time to do, this is why. All right, let's just go back. It says, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone mm-hmm. eats of this bread, he will live forever." And the blood and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true food. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my yeah. blood abides in me, and I in him. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is Jesus using here? A metaphor, right? Is he legitimately right. saying we have to eat him? No. He's not encouraging people to cannibalism. No, but what he is saying right. is that I am your sustenance. I am, I am the your way sustenance. in which that you live. Right. So there's a quote so, here from Tim Chester. Right go now ahead, we're going through something. a yeah. We're going through a book in our in our church called Thing A Truths You Can Touch by Tim Chester. It's a, a book we'll probably review here soon. Sure. But th- listen to this simple statement. And this is this is the difference. Part of the problem, this is quoting him, part of the problem is that we too often view preaching as primarily conveying information about Christ rather than conveying the grace of Christ. That's what we're getting at is that preaching and the Christian life is about receiving this grace from Christ over and over and over and over again as it washes over us, not data about him to help us be better. 
word. It's, it's, we are extolling, and that's the best word I know to use. We are extolling the grace of Christ. We're extolling the mercy of Christ. We're extolling the power and the sufficiency of Christ to save sinners, wretches such as us, right? And, and so, like, thinking about John 6, it's beautiful. I, I preached this in a, in a series of meditations that I did recently, too, and it's so wonderful because he is. He's saying, hey, you guys remember the manna. You know, well, what that was ultimately about was me, because just like the Israelites were sustained by bread that came down from heaven as they wandered in the wilderness, so too will you be sustained by the bread that comes down from heaven, i.e. me, you know, as you are sojourners and pilgrims on the way to the celestial city, right? And it's all about, it is metaphorical language. He's not encouraging people to cannibalism. I do think the Lord's Supper is in view, but what that text yes. is about is about union with Christ, like you are united to me. You are feeding on me. I am your sustenance. Like you will endure and your life is inextricably tethered to me, right? And so that's what we're communicating here, John, is like that needs to be the heartbeat of the church. That needs to be the, the DNA, the lifeblood, the resting heart rate, whatever phrase you want to use of the church is that, that our life is always and only in Christ. And that needs to permeate every aspect of the church's life together, you know, on Sunday morning. And, and we pray that that perspective permeates all of our relationships as we kind of hang out together doing whatever we're doing outside of the assembly, right? So yeah, bro, I, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's, we're not just conveying information. We are extolling the grace, power, sufficiency of Christ. And we understand that that is how the saints are edified. And mm. Of course, kind of circling back to what I said at the beginning, of course, if there is a person who isn't a Christian who shows up at our services, my goodness, are they going to be confronted with the gospel? I mean, from the welcome, you know, as people show up and it's like, hey, um, we're, we're coming in need and weakness, not in strength, you know, and, and we've blown it this week. If that's you, you know, Christ is our righteousness and he is able to save wretches even like us. Welcome to church. You know, so we're not confusing the issue as to why we're even no. gathering. Yeah. No. And, you know, I know one last illustration, then we'll, we're going to need to move into the members podcast. But even Paul, when he's talking about marriage, he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. If you don't understand how Christ loves the church, you're mm -hmm. not going to understand his illustration. The emphasis is sure. not on loving your wife. The emphasis is on how to love your wife. Sure. Right. And, and the if emphasis you don't is understand, not like. The emphasis is not be Jesus for your wife. The emphasis is, no. you know, right. The emphasis is love her in this way. Right. Right. But like and you're so saying. The, right. And, and this is true of even loving your, you're loving your neighbor. And, and anyway, so um, I, what we're going to do probably in moving forward, moving into our, our members podcast is I think there's, um, I, I want to try and give a little bit more explanation of what the differences sound like of when you're in a church that is diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel versus a church that tags the gospel on at the end for the unbeliever that may not be there or for the unbeliever that might be there, right? The yeah. tag versus the versus the emphasis. So what mm. do the two services look like? Um, a lot of this is going to come down to word, sacrament, and prayer and your views of sure. that. Uh, so we'll sure. talk about that in in our membership. For those of you that don't know what this is, um, it's a simple way for you to support our ministry. We've been doing this now for quite a few years. 
And as our ministry has grown, we have started to provide classes and we started to provide books and all of that cost money and well, a lot of money. And this is a simple way for us to make sure that we can cover those costs. Um, one resource that we were able to do recently is an introduction to covenant theology. There's so many people who don't know what that is. The word covenant theology is not even something they've even heard the two words put together. <laughs> and so we wanted to give someone a simple introduction to that. It's a five-part series. Um, you can find it at our website for a donation of any amount. And whatever whatever you can afford, that would be helpful for us to cover those costs of producing that out there. Our membership is also a way uh, for those who are members. All of our classes are in there. I think we have five classes that are or six maybe that are in there now. So all of that is a, is part of that. And of course, our membership podcast as well. This is where we just take some extra time. It's a little bit more relaxed, and um, you can find all, all that information over at our website, theocast.org. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.